0: the book of Ephesians, Paul's writing to a church at Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesian Christians. Paul has been to Ephesus and Ephesus is this really important port city. And it's a, a urban, uh, an urban context. It's about at this time, we think Close to around 250,000 people. So it's bigger than Davenport, but a little smaller than the Quad City area. But again, at this time, 2,000 years, I mean, this is a pretty big city. This is an influential city. This is a city like any urban, any big city. It's just full of a lot of paganism and sinful uh, practices. And yet, Paul spends time at Ephesus. Paul goes there on on his second missionary journey. He goes there for a short time on a third missionary journey that he goes on he actually is going to stay there for close to three years um and if uh Ephesus is kind of an important place um for some of the names that we read about in the new testament people like the apostle john uh people like luke um people like apollos timothy who paul refers to kind of like as his son in the faith uh paul's like a mentor to timothy timothy spends time there at ephesus in fact pastors the church at ephesus and so excuse me this is kind of like an epicenter um an epicenter for uh the early church and through christianity and through from it from ephesus it spreads out to a lot of different places uh but paul a lot of times would pull into a city he preached preach the gospel he'd preach against their paganism preach against their idolatry tell them you need to turn to the living true god and 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 in a lot of these cities There'd be great revival where people would come to a saving faith in Christ. Sometimes at the same time, though, he would start a riot because people violently defend their idols. And so they would get angry when he's telling them to turn from their paganism, turn from their idolatry. And Paul uh, Paul, Paul would get beat. Paul would get thrown in prison. I mean, Paul even said, I bear in my body the marks of the cross. I bear in my body the marks of my Savior. And what he's saying is like if physically... Physically, man, he went through a lot, but yet Paul would preach the gospel. And particularly we see he would hit urban centers and preach the gospel from there. And then we see at a place like Ephesus, the gospel is going to go forward and spread to other places. So Paul's writing uh, to these Christians at Ephesus. Many of them were saved out of paganism, saved out of idolatry, saved out of wicked, sinful lifestyles. They're saved out of that, and he's writing to them, and he's referring to these individuals who are now in Christ. He's wanting them to know their identity has changed, that who they were is no longer what defines them and what identifies them. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. So he's referring to these believers. A lot of times we hear the word saint and we think of like somebody very prominent, someone who uh, passes away and they go through all these things to become a saint where, you know, the church elevates them and the church makes famous days after them. And well, that's not a saint. A saint is who? A saint is anyone who is in Christ Jesus. He says the saints who are in Christ Jesus He's referring to these people. Keep in mind many of their past from from, from just lives of, of just sinfulness and idolatry and paganism. And now they have this newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And he's referring to them as saints. If you're here today and you're in Christ, you may feel like you're anything but a saint. But you know what your identity is? That you are a saint. That if you are in Christ Jesus... You are no longer defined as a sinner. In fact, in the New Testament, over 200 times it uses this phrase, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. It uses this phrase over and over again, identifying us as Christians as our identity is in Christ. It's no longer in Adam. We're born in Adam, under Adam, the first man who ever lived, who sinned, plunged a whole human race in into the curse of sin. That we're under that headship. But when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're taken out of that and we're placed under Christ. We're placed in the family of God and our identity is changed. Oh, we still sin. But that sin no longer defines us. What defines us is who we are in Christ. And this is really, really important. Because what should flow out of who we are is what we do. How we live. How 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 we conduct our life must flow though out of who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's really important that we don't get that backwards. Because if we get that backwards, if we get that mixed up, we're gonna have, we're gonna really live a a frustrated life of doing things in our own strength, trying to do things in our own power, instead of understanding we're doing it in his power. We have a new identity and it's found in Christ. Maybe today you're here and you're a believer. Satan has really just bombarded you with guilt. Maybe from your past. Maybe of even sinful things that you found yourself going back into. And maybe today you need to realize that who you are in Christ, that you, that God sees you, it doesn't matter how others view you. And it doesn't even matter how you view yourself. What matters is how you are viewed by God. And if you are in Christ, you have a new identity. So Paul's writing them and he's saying he's addressing them you are the saints in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So he's saying because your identity's changed all of these spiritual blessings are now true of you. All of these things you have because you're in Christ. It's not your goodness but it's because of his grace. These things now define you. Let's start and let's look at these. There's a whole list of them. We're going to try to get through all of these. Number, verse number four, we see this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we see, first of all, the blessings for all those who are in Christ, for all those whose identity is now, you're a child of God, you're in Christ, your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All of these things are true about you. You are blessed with all of these things. You are blessed. You might think, man, I feel anything but blessed. Maybe you've had that kind of week or month, or you just feel like, man, this whole year I feel like like there's just curse that hovers over me. But here's the thing, and Paul's going to conclude the chapter in saying this. My prayer is that you will understand and realize all that you have in Christ. You know, it's my prayer that we as a church will understand and realize all of these blessings that we have in Christ. First of all, we see this. We see that we are chosen by God. So the blessings that we see from God the Father, it says, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. You are chosen by God. The God who created the universe, an all-powerful God, but yet it's personal. That God who created you and created me, he loves us. It says he chose us. So we see that it's personal. God's not not this some distant being who just created everything, the world, and then just lets the world go and, and, and just lets it go as it will. No, God is involved in his creation. And it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. That we're chosen by God. And it says this, that 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 he's adopted us into his family. Verse number 5. Having predestinated us (coughs) unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we're placed in his family. He's taken us out of of the world and out of darkness. We were a child of darkness. and, And he said children of wrath, children of disobedience. And yet God in his great grace has placed us in his family. That we are part of the family. We're going to look at next week, Lord willing, in chapter 2, how Paul's saying, listen, this church is, has has both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and non-Jew. And he's saying, listen, that Christ has broken down that wall of division. That That you are separated from God, but through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross... He's broken down that wall that you can now have access to God, the father through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, that you can have now unity. There should be no wall that divides us. There should be no wall as believers that separates us. And sometimes people want to try to put those walls back up and try to create division. Whether it's based on someone's financial status, whether it's based on the the color of their skin, whether it's based on how they grew up and where they grew up. And, And sometimes people want to emphasize a lot of injustices. And I'm not saying that we should ignore those things. But I'm saying sometimes, sometimes what we can do is water down and cheapen the gospel when we don't recognize that through faith in Jesus Christ... Look, we have unity with one another. We should have unity and peace as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we're all in the family. We're all in the family. We're adopted into the family of God. And this is good news for us. This is good news. We're part of the family of God. That when we come and we gather as a church, we should have love and unity towards one another. Why? Because we're in the same family. We're in the same family. We've adop- been adopted. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. But he goes on and says that we are accepted in the beloved. Verse number six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. <clears throat> we have been accepted. Maybe in your life, there's seasons of times where you felt like you haven't been accepted Maybe there's times there were there were groups of people or even places or things that you, you wanted to be involved in, you wanted to be a part of, but in all reality, you just felt like they had no place for you. You felt like you were anything but accepted. You were kind of pushed out. You were ignored. You weren't appreciated. You weren't loved. You weren't a part of it. But yet here's the truth, that because of God's great grace, we're accepted. We are accepted in his family. And I'm not making light of any times of things that when we go through and we, we feel like that, because that's a horrible feeling. Maybe you've gone through that. Maybe there's times you feel like even, even your, your kids have, have experienced that. And part of just growth is trying to help them through those, those times where it feels like, man, I'm just, I don't fit in. I'm not accepted. I'm not a part of this. But if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, here's the reality. You are chosen, you are adopted, and you are accepted. You've been made accepted in the family, not because of our goodness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because His blood was shed to, to, to pay for our sins. We see this as a child of God. This is true of who? All those who are in Christ. This isn't just some, oh, these, this elite group of, of Christians and only a handful. No, this is true of all believers. Of all believers, we are blessed. We are blessed. We're blessed from the Father. We're chosen. We're adopted. We're accepted. But he goes on. We see the blessings from God the Son. We see in verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption means we're purchased, we're bought back by the blood of Christ. That God created us, we're his, but yet because of our sin, there's this separation that happens. But yet God in his great love redeemed us by shedding his blood. Peter says this, it says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. He says, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That Jesus' blood has purchased you and has purchased me. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he shed his blood. We are redeemed. We're redeemed. Secondly, from God the Son, we're forgiven. He says that we're, we're, we're redeemed, that he purchased us with his blood. And it says the forgiveness of sins. See, our identity before we're in Christ is we're in Adam, the first man who ever lived. And we're under God's wrath and God's judgment. That's not something a lot of people like to talk about and not a uh, a thing that a lot of people like to hear about. Because let's just be honest, we're in just this therapeutic culture and society that we never want to be told anything negative. We never want to be told bad news. But the, the, the reality is that apart from Jesus Christ, we are under Adam. We're under God's wrath and God's judgment because of our sin. Because of our rebellion against God. And sometimes people think, well, man, I'm I just kind of live my own life, I do my own thing, and I'm fine. Nothing's ever happened. But the Bible's clear that God is just storing up his wrath. Every sinful action is being made known and being accounted for. And the reason, the reason why God doesn't pour out his wrath right at this very moment is because he is long-suffering, he is patient, he is merciful. But there will come a day when we die, we don't stand and give an account to a mirror. We will stand, we'll give an account to a holy, righteous God. And all sin will be made known, will be judged. But here's the good, the glorious news. That because Jesus Christ died to redeem us, because he shed his blood on the cross for us, we can be forgiven. That that sin that we do, that sin that we commit, the evil thoughts that we think, the sinful actions that we do, the sinful words that we say, that all of that has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to fear God's wrath. That we don't have to fear the judgment that we deserve. Why? Because Jesus Christ took that judgment on himself and he paid the price in full. And if we by faith trust him as our Lord and Savior, We can experience forgiveness. We can experience forgiveness in Christ. That we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. We have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We see that God's making known his will to us. It says in verse number 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So look, he's saying, like, look, there are times when God's will is seems mysterious, and it seems like even like when things have been prophesied, it's like it's like this veil that's there, it's not as clear, but yet that God has explained or exegeted himself through the Son, through Jesus Christ coming. To or John 1 talks about that the Son has explained or exegeted the Father, that God has spoken to us. That God has not just left us without a voice. God has not left us to try to guess and figure things out on our own. No, God has spoken and he spoke clearly when he entered his own creation. And we see that when Jesus came, he made known some of the things that were mysterious. And that he's gathering together, that he's gathering his kingdom together of believers that are made up of every nation, of every tribe. And he's bringing together his kingdom. And what a joy that is that God has spoken to us. We see this, it's, we see not only not only have we been redeemed and forgiven by, this, by, by Jesus, but yet we've been given an inheritance, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We are His inheritance, and we are given an inheritance. We're given an inheritance, an inheritance that will never fade away. Peter, another apostle, describes it like this. He says that the inheritance that you have waiting is one that will never fade away. It's undefiled. And at the time of when when Paul and Peter, they're writing, talking about an inheritance that will never fade away. This was a time when people could lose everything in just a moment they didn't have things like crop insurance. They didn't have things like insurance on their possessions. At any time, a storm could devastate everything. At at, at any time, an army could march in and destroy all their possessions. And and the reality is the same thing is true today. We just have a little more of an illusion that we have security. We have a little more of a perception that, that we have more control over things. And the reality is we don't either. But here's the promise, the inheritance that we have that's awaiting is one that'll never fade away. It's one that we're never going to lose. That inheritance is is not. It, it is far more than physical possessions. Though the inheritance and the promise of heaven is indeed physical, because heaven is a real place. There's real people. We're going to do real things. We're going to eat real food. Amen. We're going to enjoy a real a reality of not just not just this distant uh, spiritual uh, aspect only. But the inheritance is far greater than just physical possessions. The inheritance of being with our Savior. The inheritance of being with our, our fellow believers. I mean, look around. The people that you're sitting next to. The people in your life who are believers. The people who you know who've already passed on. Who are in heaven right now. Who one day, we're going to be united as one family. And it's going to last forever. It's not going to fade away. You talk about a wonderful inheritance. I was reading not too long ago about inheritance that one individual received, and he 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 was he was given a, he inherited a house, and it was somewhere in the Midwest. I think it was like Kansas or Indiana or something. And so he 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 inherited this rundown house. So this isn't like California or Florida where it's like you can have just a, a shack that's worth a half a million dollars, right? This is somewhere in the Midwest, and 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 so he was in, he inherited this house. And then he, he didn't live there, so he made a few trips and he hired people to fix it up and he was going to sell it and talk to a realtor. And when it was all said and done, after months and months of paperwork, going back and forth, hiring people to, to fix this house up, getting it on the market, selling it, he said his profit ended up being like $100 or less. I mean, all this work, months of work, it's like, wow, w- w- what an inheritance, Right. Like by the time he sold it, he didn't really make any money. May I say this, but we have an inheritance that's far greater. We have an inheritance, not because of our goodness, but because we're part of the family. Because he has made us family. He's taken us out. We were children of of disobedience and children of darkness, but he's placed us into his glorious light and he's made us family. That we're part of the family and because of that, because we're redeemed, because we're forgiven, we have an inheritance that is awaiting us. We see we are blessed. We are blessed. This isn't just true of these Ephesian, uh, Ephesian believers. This is true of all believers. If you are in Christ, all these things are true about you. And this is why it's so, so very important. I'm not making light of people that struggle. Uh, with, with their identity and people that, that struggle maybe with a self-esteem that's a real thing and, and we should walk alongside of people and help them through those things but a lot of it is just is, is, is getting people to understand who that they are in Christ not understanding what they have to do but understanding who they are because what we do should flow out of who we are in Christ. We see by we're chosen we' we're, we're chosen we're adopted we're placed in his family. We're accepted, we're chosen, adopted, accepted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're given an inheritance. Now we see blessings from God the Spirit. Verse number twelve that we should be or that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you've heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, right? And and, and, and after that you are sealed. With that Holy Spirit of promise. Now we see the Spirit of God seals us. So you see this perfect, wonderful harmony and unity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God sends the Son... To purchase our redemption. We are sealed by the Spirit. It's a perfect union. It's a, per, it's a perfect harmony of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Working to accomplish and secure our salvation. We can rest in that. We could be encouraged by that. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Our salvation is secure in Him. Our salvation is secure because the Holy Spirit of God seals us we're not trying to hold on and endure to, to, to keep our salvation now the fact that we're working the fact that we're struggling the fact that we're pressing on in faith is an evidence that we are saved it an evidence that we truly are in christ amen but but it's not just the effort on our part of doing more no we're doing more why because the spirit of god indwells us because the Holy Spirit of God is producing that fruit of the Spirit in us. And he sealed us. We're sealed. We're protected. He goes on to say that, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. He is the earnest. That's not maybe a word that we're super familiar with, but, but we do know what that means. If you were to purchase a property, you would put down something called earnest money. You would put down that earnest money that 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 holds that that seals that for you. Now again, please don't think in earthly terms because all of us have maybe gotten a little bit cynical because we've been ripped off or deceived by people and so even today like you know you put earnest money down or you do all these things you're supposed to do and yet you know you get the right attorney and people can wiggle their way out of, of just about anything right well don't think in earthly terms this is a picture this is an example of what the spirit of god does this is god who's speaking And God's not going to lie. God's not going back on his word. We are given a down payment that guarantees our future glory one day. That guarantees this inheritance. Holy Spirit in us is proof that we're a child of God. It's that down payment that's been given. And the Holy Spirit is in us and working in us. Making us more like him. Until one day, this flesh and blood. And, and and this sin cursed world is we're we're gonna say goodbye to the sin cursed world, and we're gonna have something that's called the glorification. We're going to be free from that sin, pain, sorrow, suffering. And here's the thing the Holy Spirit in us now is what guarantees that future glory one day. We are a blessed people. We are blessed. We are blessed, as Paul says, you're blessed with spiritual blessings. All of these things are true about you if you are in Christ. This isn't true of everyone, though. This is for those who are in Christ. These are those who have, by faith, trusted in Christ. Put their faith and their trust in Him as their Lord and Savior. If you're here today, you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, you're not in Christ. But you, by faith, can trust Him as your Savior. We see the gospel and it goes forward the gospel goes forward with power and it's available for everyone who will believe. And sometimes especially especially books like this and chapters like this in Ephesians 1 where we read things about god chose us and we're accepted and 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 before the foundation of the world that we're chosen and and sometimes people want to debate on okay well then do i have a choice can i accept the gospel or does this god just do everything and i do nothing and well what we see though is we look at when we look at all of scripture and we let all of scripture speak we see that yes god is all-powerful god is sovereign that that our salvation is 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 not our doing it's his doing But we do see that the responsibility that we have by faith to trust Christ. Now, God knows everyone who's going to trust in Him. God knows everything before the foundation of the world, but God, in His sovereignty, has allowed for us to either accept or reject the message of the gospel. And when we by faith receive it, we're placed in the family of God. That faith doesn't just exist in a vacuum. That faith is when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us, when the the Spirit of God, when the gospel goes forward and the Spirit of God speaks, that we, by faith, trust in Him. That we call upon Him to be our Lord and Savior. But I can say this, I can say this, that the gospel is available for everyone who will believe. Everyone who will trust Christ as their Savior. That all of these things, all of these blessings can be true for each and every one who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? This isn't something you earn. It's not something you achieve. It's not not achieved by your church attendance. It's not achieved by how good of a person and how good of a life you live. It is through the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that we could never live. And he died to redeem us. He died to purchase our salvation. And faith in him is turning to him and calling upon him alone to be our savior. And I ask you, have you experienced that salvation? Have you experienced that faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, today might be the day for you. If God's speaking to you right now to call upon him, to put your faith in him, to be your Lord and savior. Paul concludes this chapter, he's saying this, these are all things that are true of you. These are all things that are true of believers. And he says this though, but my prayer is this, my prayer and my great desire is that you will know and understand these things. Because if you know and understand who you are, if you know and understand your identity, it is going to naturally out of that flow how you should live. It's going to flow the, the kind of life that you should live. And we're going to see that in Ephesians. We're going to see next week about how that we can have unity with other believers. That, 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 that there should be no wall that divides us. Why? Because we've been unified through faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to see in, in, in Ephesians 4 about, about forgiving people. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We're going to see about parenting and marriage and spiritual warfare. And taking on the armor of God. And all these things to do. But it must flow out of us knowing who we are. It must flow out of knowing our identity. What defines us is not what we do. What defines us is who we are. And then, when we understand that, out of that flows a life that's obedience to Him, the following Christ, because we are His child. Paul says this Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints. So, Paul knows some of these people individually. But then he's heard of many of them because again the gospels just been ignited and some of them maybe Paul personally was able to lead to faith in Christ. But now he's hearing about about how that they more more of these um, more of those in the church of Ephesus are becoming believers and followers of Christ. He hears of them. He says, "I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention <coughs> excuse me making mention of you in my prayers." That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's saying my prayer, my desire for you is to know these things, to understand these things. My prayer, my desire for us as a church is that we will know and understand these things. Pastor Larry actually preached from the second half of Ephesians 1 not too long ago. It was when we were just doing online only. And I love the illustration that he gave. He talked about how that like during that time, like remember there was just this, all these crazy lunatics out there were like buying up like madmen all these supplies and like there's some things you, you hard time getting you can get clorox wipes and toilet paper and and and, and different items and, and and canned goods and it was like these crazy people were buying up all this stuff and, it, and and there was a little bit of stress on can we get enough stuff can we get enough supplies is walmart gonna have a fresh stock in and are they gonna limit me can i get enough of, of things that we need the bachelor there, he said like look it'd be like this it'd be like during that time stressed out worried can you get enough only for the reality to be that you had some you had a, a relative that aired to you a whole Costco filled with supplies. And all of that was yours. but but yet you stressed and were worrying am I gonna am I gonna get over to Walmart before they close? what time should I show up? how long will I have to stand in line so I can get what He'd be like it's like stressing out and living like that when you have everything that you need you just have to understand you have it. Paul's saying this, all of these things, you're chosen, you're loved, you're accepted, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, God has revealed his will to you, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, you have an inheritance that's waiting. All of these things are true about you. Say my prayer for you, church, my prayer for you is that you will understand this. My prayer for you is that you will know these things. Because if you know your identity in Christ, if you know all these things that are true of you, not because of our goodness, but because of his grace and his goodness, if you know that, it's going to affect the way that you live, the way that I live. Paul's saying this, this is secure. Why? Because that all of these things, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come in verse 22 hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is the body and the fullness of him that filleth all in all He's saying this, these things are true of you, and and it's because Christ is above all. He was raised from the dead, and he's above all principalities, above all rulers, above all powers, above every name that is, 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 is is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. He's saying that Christ is over and above all, that all these things are mentioned, that they are true, they will come to pass, they will be fulfilled Because he is above all, all rulers, all kingdoms, all principalities, all powers. That we as a church, sometimes we have the picture that we're on the defensive, that we just need to circle the wagons and and pray for the rapture. Well, that's not the picture. That's not the picture that we see in scripture. The church is advancing. The church is marching forward. The gates of hell are not going to withstand the army of God that is marching forward. Why? Because he is above all. He is above all rulers, all kingdoms, kings and kingdoms. Governments are going to rise and they're going to fall. The most powerful leaders and rulers will rise and fall. But the kingdom of Christ will march on and will last forever because he is above all. He is the head of the church. All things are under his feet. He rules and he reigns. And one day he is going to return And his kingdom will be set up physically on this earth. And we, as his children, are going to enjoy a wonderful inheritance of being with him for all of eternity. Of being with our brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Of being with the saints who've already passed away. The saints in heaven. And I love the language in Ephesians where Paul even talks about when he's praying. He's saying the whole family of God being united in heaven and on earth. Man, what a powerful truth that that is. Of knowing that we are just a small part of the kingdom of God. And that our Savior is victorious. And that if we are in Him, we experience all of these blessings. But I pray that we'll know it. I pray that we'll understand it. And by the way, it won't give us a spirit of arrogance. It'll give us hopefully a spirit of confidence in Christ... And hopefully a spirit of gratefulness. Why? Because this isn't according to our goodness. It's according to his grace. It's according to his grace. But this grace. Who's this for? All those who are in Christ. So I ask you this question. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, these things are true about you. Rest in that truth. Understand that truth. Know that truth. Why? Because when we know who we are in Christ, out of that flows how we live. It flows how we view the world. It flows our actions. But we must know our identity is in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're not a sinner. That no longer defines you. You're a saint. Not because of your goodness, but because of him.